to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. So good to be back. Let's go to John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Are you there? No? Are you flipping your Bible? Show me, show me your light on your handphone. Like, you're at the verse. All right, great. And no, that's a photo of your family. Dean, I can see that. <laughs> okay, now, let's go. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, saw, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her, home, uh, took her to his own home. So, this is the verse. <laughs> and I go like, Huh? What should I say? All of you who are sons, just take care of your mother, okay? Jesus took care of his mother, so you also take care of your mother. Amen. That's the end of the service. (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) So when Jesus was on the cross at the end of his life, you know, he, he, he just looked down and he saw his mother... And I would, I would say that Mary doesn't just represent Jesus' mother. Okay? He, she represents a group of women who are vulnerable. And if you know in, in those days, when a woman loses his, her husband and is a widow and has no son, she's, she's entitled to nothing. There's no protection over her. And if she has a son, she still has an access to the assets of the of of her deceased husband. But Jesus is looking down at his mother and realized that he is going to be gone. His father, I believe at at that time, has already passed away. So Mary is going to be at the place where she's extremely vulnerable. There's no protection over her. And God, and Jesus has the heart. No, he always has the heart for the vulnerable, those who are not protected. And then he turned to Mary Mary and said, Woman, this is your son. And we we know that sometimes the plague of the widow is so unbearable, and Jesus knows. He understands our needs. There are times when we go through seasons where we feel so vulnerable and unprotected. You know, but God knows. It says in Luke chapter 7, 11 to verse 15. It's a very interesting story where Jesus raised the dead. And it says, Now it happened the day after he went into the city called Nine, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And so... This is it. Jesus is coming into the city and he's seeing this woman who is a widow and her only source of hope is gone. 
Her only source of protection is God, her only son. And a large crowd from the city was with her. I would, I, I would say that the crowd that was with her understood the plague of a widow and a widow with no son. They, are, they were all weeping with her because they know that she will be going through a very, very difficult time. And what happened, you says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he presented him to his mother. That's amazing. God didn't just raise the dead. He saw the women and he had compassion, you know, and he raised him from the dead and he reconnected his, her only source of hope to her. And so now this woman is moved from a place of being vulnerable to a place of being protected. I tell you, God cares so much for us. He cares so deeply for us, even more than we can even think or imagine. You know, there are times where, where we feel like, God, are you really there? Do you really understand what I'm going through? He does. Even when he was on the cross, Strip of all his worldly possession. When the enemy wants to shame him naked on the cross, they can take away everything from him, his dignity, everything. But he, they could not strip away his love for us. And when he looked down, strip of everything, he could still see Mary, he could still see his mother, he could still see the vulnerable and say, I need to do something. I know last week you talked about Jesus and the two thieves, right? And I would just imagine if I'm hanging on the cross and in pain and dying, the last thing I want to do is to save somebody. You know, I'm like, if somebody said, Jesus, will you take me? I'll go like, just leave me alone. I'm just going to die. I'm dying. I just see I'm dying. Like, Ugh. you know? And even for me, when I'm tired, right? And, and, and if my daughter comes to me, mommy, mommy, I want this like, just go away, can? Let mommy rest, can? That's so, you know, to, to me, I was like, Jesus, you're just so amazing on the cross when you have nothing left, nothing, and you are in such pain, you still have that love for us. Nothing can take away that love for us. And I go like, God, sometimes we really think about you so lowly that when we are in a difficult place and we just say, God, are you there? Do you even think of us? And can I tell you that He thinks about us every single moment of the day. You know, in Psalms 139, it says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. If you can count the sand... That's the number of times God is thinking about you every single day, every single moment. We cannot count. He's thinking about us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's our God. 
He has good thoughts towards us. Even when we can be in a difficult situation, when we lose our job, when, we, when our marriage is on the rock, when we have relationship problems, when we are in depression, when we just can't think out of a situation of hopelessness, I want you to know that God cares for us. He knows us. He knows our deepest desire and he, He's thinking about us all the time. You know, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Joy may not be thinking about you. Okay? Andre may not be thinking about you. But God, He thinks about you, every single one of you, all the time, over and over again. And that story, I want to bring us to the book of Ruth because it's such a beautiful story. Every time I read it, my heart is just so blessed. You know, and I love the book of Ruth because if you, if you, if you flip to the, what do you call that? content, right? The book of Ruth is sandwiched in the history book of the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with history. It's just like, there's one very nice story sandwiched in between the history books. And the interesting thing is, in this book, there's nothing that is mentioned about God saying something. Like, unlike the history book, the Lord says, I say, you know, it's right. But then the Ruth is sandwiched there and there's nothing being said about God saying anything. But then we can see God is at work every single moment in Naomi's and Ruth's life. And he is interested in the details of our lives. And so let's dive in. in let's just give you a summary, right? Ruth chapter 1. It started with, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, instead of having the Lord to be their ruler, the children of Israel chose judges to rule over them. And as a result of that, it was a very difficult and very dark time during the, during the days of Judges. And a famine came um, in Judah. So Naomi's husband um, decided to take Naomi and his two sons to the land of Moab because Moab was not experiencing famine. And, they took, and he took them there. And when they were there, his two sons uh, married two Moabite women. One is called Opa, and the other is called Ruth. And over time, Naomi's husband died, and she became a widow. But the good thing is, she has two sons. But over 10 years, the son all died. And so not only Naomi became the widow, the daughter-in-laws all became widow, and they are coming to a place where they are extremely vulnerable. And when Naomi heard that the land of um, Bethlehem is, you know, having good crops. She decided that I want to go back home. And she said to her two daughters-in-law, understanding the hardship of a widow, this, and being a foreigner, if they were to follow her back to Bethlehem, she, she said, I beg you, go back to your mother's house. Don't come with me. It will be a hard life for you. I have no more sons to give you. No more hope for you. Go home. And then they all cried. And Opa said, eventually she went home. But Ruth, she refused. She clung. She, she really clung on to Naomi. And she said in chapter 1, verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I bury the Lord. Do so to me and more also, 
if anything but death, part, death parts you and me. And so, so Ruth was so loyal to Naomi, even though there could be a place where she can find hope. But she, but she saw how God is faithful in Naomi's life. She saw how God is so real in Naomi's life. She said, no, I'll go with you. And so move to chapter, I don't know, before we move to chapter two. So Naomi is coming into Bethlehem and people begin to recognize her and say, oh, isn't that Naomi? She's coming back. And Naomi means, the word, the name Naomi means lovable, my delight, my joy, my bliss, pleasantness of Jehovah. It's a good name. It's a blessed name. But then she said to the people, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because God has dealt bitterly with me. And so many times we are like Naomi. We let the situation and the circumstances define who we are. we We don't let who God define us determine the outcome of the situation. So Naomi said, God, 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 is, God is angry with me. You know, look, I lost everything. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me blessed anymore. Call me bitter. Because I, I am such, I'm in such a place where I, I think God is just done with me. And so in the chapter 2, Ruth is saying, uh, let me go and glean in the fields um, and that I can, you know, see who can find, who I may find favor. And so Naomi says, go, go, my daughter, go and glean in the field. And gleaning is very interesting. It's the act of collecting leftover crops in the farmer's field after they have commercially harvested, you know, or, you know, whatever that's not economically profitable, they leave it in the field. And in those days, it's very interesting that I realized that God has written in the law for the landowners that they have to leave extra crops in their field. You know, and why? Let's turn to Leviticus 19, verse 9 to 10. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Wow, he's written in the laws like many, 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 many years ago. God knows our plague. He knows our heart. And he returned this law and he's not saying, this is an option. I am the Lord your God. You have to do it. Wow, I was like, God, thank you for protecting the vulnerables. Deuteronomy 24 verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a shaft in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the strangers, for the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grape of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and you, sh- will, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. I am the Lord your God. Wow, that's amazing. And it makes me rethink about my life. 
You know, maybe I can challenge some of you who are business owner that you do not fully <laughs> harvest your crops. That do you leave something for the fatherless, for the strangers, and for the widows? It challenges my mindset. Because we, so Daniel and I, um, in the beginning, you know, when we first started out in the ministry, it, it was a trying time, you know. Financially, we were challenged. And, and people always, oh, you're a pastor, we'll give you a discount, you know. <laughs> like, you know, we give her things, give you free ticket, go conference. And I mean, we needed that and I, and I appreciated that. But we have come to a place that we have more than enough. You know, and so when we go to our friend's shop and we know that they're struggling, they were like, oh, pastor, pastor, I'll give you a discount. And then Daniel go like, I don't need a discount. Don't give me a discount. We want to bless you. Keep the discount and we want to give to you. And we want to come to a place where we don't reap everything. Something that irritates me the most when I read the newspaper was that the government was trying to give um, free masks during the, the SARS season to the old folks. Only the 60, I think 60 years old and above get free masks. And then people write on the internet, healthy young people. How come only old people have? How come I, I can't have free masks? The government should give everybody free masks. And I told them, what's wrong with our people today? They can afford it, let them go and buy a mask. But these old people, they are like the widows, the fatherless, the strangers. They can't afford just let them take for free. But now we are in this mindset, oh, government, free thing, I also want. Everything also I want. When you can afford it, please pay for it, okay? Don't be such a, you know, leave the crops for the stranger. <sighs> free, free. Like, oh, free, uh, oh, keep, keep, then don't pay No, because you know why? We are in a place where we can give, okay? When you, have, when you are in a position where you can give, don't be like a pomper, like, what, free thing, uh, free coffee, you're going to take you up two hours. Please, <laughs> give it to the strangers, the fatherless and the widows. Be in a position to bless, you know. And so let's, let's not be takers, let's be givers. Okay, come back to the story. So, the law is there to protect those who cannot afford. And so because of this protection law that was set, Ruth was able to glean in the field of Boaz. This is amazing. And so Boaz saw her. Mm. I think she is quite pretty. That's my guess. Like me at that. <laughs> and then Boaz, Ruth chapter 2 verse 5 to 11, said to his, his servant, was in charge of the reapers. Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So she was very hardworking. From morning she was trying to pick up the, the, the little that was left from the harvest. And Boaz, he said to Ruth, this is just a kindness of God. He said, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not glean in other fields. Do not go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they reap, and you go after them. 
Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink from the what the young men have drawn. So Boaz not only allowed her to glean, and she started to say, just follow the young women. Whatever you need, take. And I'm protecting you. I told the young men not to touch you. you know? So I'm quite sure she's quite pretty and attractive. And then she fell on her face and bowed to the ground. Okay, this, let me deviate. I just like how the Bible used figure of speech, like, fell on her face. <laughs> it's just like the English language. Basically, basically she bowed down. <laughs> so, uh, uh, young people, when you read the Bible, don't take it literally. You must fall on your face. Okay. And she fell on her face, bowed to the ground, and said to him, What have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You know, I am from afar. I don't deserve it. Why have you shown such favour? And that is our God. When you feel that you're afar off, when you don't deserve it, He just shower over you goodness and favour. Amen? He is a good father. Amen. And so Boaz said, okay, you know, you can't, it, to Ruth, basically he says that the Lord will repay your work and a full reward will be given by you, given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wing you have come for refuge. So Boaz recognizes that Ruth trusted God. She was a good woman and he knows that God is going to come true for her. And then she began to, and then Boaz commanded his young man, when you harvest from the, the crops, I want you to be clumsy. Because usually, wow, every grain, you know, business people, when we want profit, wow, everything also take. Every cent also I charge. Five cent also I'll put in the invoice for you. You know, that's how, sometimes when I did accounts, I'm like, Joy, you cannot reconcile two cents. <gasps> two cents? I have to go through the book all over again to find the two cents. Can you just like write it off? I still remember one time I was working with Jason. <laughs> he has to recover 20 cents, right? From, <laughs> from the client. <laughs> And then we go like, we went to the finance. It's only 20 cents. Just write it off. They say, no, you need to go and collect back 20 cents. And I'm like, 20 cents? I give to you. And the, go, the accountant go, no, cannot. It has to come from the other company. <laughs> I was like, no. That's how, how we are. We, we want to you know, make sure we maximize profit. But Boaz told his young man, when you collect the crops, I want you to be clumsy. Woo! I, I don't know what happened. The, 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 the barley just fly. Woo! Wow! I want you. And then when Ruth comes, just let her take. She must be collecting. Wow. The workers of Boaz are very clumsy. Wow. Leave so many things behind. I think you should fire them. Leave so many. And so the Bible says by the end of the day, she collected an ephah. Of Bali, okay. I was thinking, what, what is Ifa of Bali? I checked. It's worth 400 liters of Bali. 400, not 400, sorry, 40 liters. 400 liters. 40 liters of Bali. Think about a bottle of milk is one liter. 40 liters. And she carried that all the way back into the city where Naomi is. And then I just discovered this is the first Wonder Woman in the Bible. 40 liters. And then further down the chapter, I saw that. 
I read that Boaz put on her six ifa of barley to bring home. Six times 40. I don't know whether the measurement was wrong, but man, Wonder Woman improved version. <laughs> that's a lot. But that's how the father is. He's so generous. He's true. Take. I am not a taker. I still remember when I f- my first trip to the... Is it my first trip to the US? Maybe my first trip, my first business trip out to the US. And um, we are just getting better financially, starting to have more than enough, you know, you know instead of hand to mouth, not hand to mouth disease, that's what my <laughs> and And we... And I'm not kidding you, I was shopping. Okay, usually... I always buy things for my children first. Okay, and whenever there's leftover money, I probably think about what to buy for myself. So, as usual, most people will go for outlet shopping. So I went with my colleagues. And I'm not kidding you, the Lord just said to me, I just felt led, maybe not the Lord said, I felt led. <laughs> just, the Lord says, I want you to buy for yourself. I go like, cannot buy for myself. I must buy for my children. Say, no, I want you to buy. Whatever you like, you buy. Buy for yourself. So I was like, hmm. <laughs> I went to coach shop, coach, you know, you know the Chinese national, they were like, whoop, that's how many <laughs> No, I didn't take that many bags, okay. I was like, I bought and um, and then I, I will talk to Daniel and say, hey, I went shopping and he goes like, so how much did you spend? Then I went like, so I told him how much I spent. And then he goes like, wow, you spent so much. Okay, law, then I don't buy anything for myself. <laughs> I felt so bad. <laughs> he said, oh yeah, then I don't buy anything for myself. Because we haven't met yet. He was coming after my business trip. So we went out. Then he was like, wow, I spent so much for myself. So I felt bad. I was like, God, why is it so bad? But I really felt like I should buy for myself. Like, I really was, and I felt very happy. That's the thing. I like, There was no guilt. Like, yay. Shopping, shopping, shopping. But at the end, something inside of me said to me, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. So I have to leave for Singapore first. Um, Daniel was on another flight. Then he had to do ministry in one of our friend's house. He was praying and prophesying. And they gave him a love gift. Which he didn't expect. We didn't expect. But like, he gave him a love gift. And then he texted me. He said, Joy, they gave me a love gift. Enough to cover your shopping. (laughs) And I instantly felt the love of God. And something just broke. The spirit of poverty of like, it just broke. And I'm just like, wow, free to... I was like, God is a good father. I know girls, you know, wives, uh, don't don't try, okay? (laughs) You must have a spiritual husband like my husband. He must be praying very hard. <laughs> and he still didn't buy anything else from myself. God broke the spirit of poverty in me. <laughs> and I tell you, God is thinking about me. He knows I, I want to shop, but I just wouldn't. And he says, I'm a good father. Go. I got your back. And I needed that. And that really broke something. 
broke the spirit of poverty. And that's so amazing. I would never go back to being stingy anymore because I tell you, I feel so liberated to be generous. The way to break poverty is to be generous, is to give. And so, this great, great father orchestrated for Ruth to, to glean in the field of Boaz. Boaz was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem. And the most important thing is Boaz is a close relative of Naomi's husband. And Bo, that makes Boaz the kingsman redeemer. What's a kingsman's redeemer? It's the relative who could restore or preserve the full community rights of a disadvantaged family member. And so Boaz has the rights. But the only problem is there's another closer relative. And so Boaz said to Ruth in chapter 3, verse 13, Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him, the next closest, the closer uh, relative. And if he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. When I read that, my heart was filled. Maybe somebody else will not redeem you. We face situations where you think that somebody will speak up for you. Somebody will protect you. But the person just didn't. You think that your husband should be protecting you or your wife should be protecting you or your boss, you know, somebody that you trust, a close friend. Even though nobody or no one is willing to redeem. Because the thing about this close relative, he was initially willing to redeem Naomi for her property. But when he heard he has to marry Ruth, he's like, oh, then I don't want really. You know? Sometimes we go through a situation like that. It hurts us. It's painful. But God has a better plan. He is our kingsman's redeemer. And there is Boaz, that loyal, faithful kingsman redeemer. He says, if he doesn't do it, I will. God has our back. If nobody, if even everyone, everything fails, you know what? I will be your kingsman redeemer. I will restore to you what you have lost. I will be there so that you will not be disadvantaged. You will not stay vulnerable. That's how faithful our God is. And so the stories end in Ruth chapter 4. Beautiful story. So Boaz took Ruth into his own home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to the son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. I just love how the community celebrates with her you know, when everything is restored to her. And say, and he said, may he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. When he, everything was taken, he was no, had no more son. The people blessed her because she, now Ruth is pregnant. And for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has, and has been better to you than seven sons. Wow, that's amazing. That's a, a beautiful daughter and Mother-in-law and daughter-in-law's relationship, okay? That's so beautiful. 
And so Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor said, the neighbor woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David in the lineage of Jesus. Wow! So afar off. Yet the Lord just orchestrated everything. What a beautiful story. And this beautiful story continues because Jesus was on the cross and he said, Women, behold your son. And son, behold your mother. And it means to us that God, Jesus reconnects the vulnerable to the church and the church to the vulnerable. Ruth to Boaz, Boaz to Ruth. And you know what? The best place to be vulnerable is in the church. That's what God has intended us to be. Jesus could have entrusted his mother to the authorities. But can he? Because the man who has the authority to save him from the crucifixion chose to wash his hand and say, I'm innocent of this man's blood. We have a beautiful, I would say, even for our government, we have a good government, you know, we have a good system. But is good really enough? We have vulnerable children in institutional home. We have homeless people in the shelter. And if the church just say, oh, let the government do what we do, then this good can never be great. The good can be great is when the vulnerable is reconnected to the church and the church to the vulnerable. And Jesus entrusted his mother, the vulnerable, to the church. And we need to be that church that embraces the vulnerable. Again, I say to the church family, let's be vulnerable in this church. There's nothing to pretend. You don't have to pretend you have everything up. I don't have to pretend. When I'm angry, I can assure you everyone here will know. <laughs> when I'm angry with my children, I'm angry with my, my husband, or, you know, when I have a bad day. Because church is the safest place to be vulnerable. You can't go anywhere else. You don't have to have it all together in your marriage. You don't have to have it all together in your finances. You don't have to have it all together in your job, you know, in your ministry, whatever that you're doing. You can be as vulnerable as you can in the church. We always say that this is not just a service you attend, but a family we belong. Is this really a family? If this is a family, you can be vulnerable. And not only that, can I also say, as long as you call the city your family, the pastors and the leaders has every right and authority to speak into your life. Because we don't want to be like Pontus Pilate and say, oh, Wash my hand. Mm. I wash my hand. Don't care. Not my problem. No. We have the authority and the responsibility put upon us as leaders and pastors of the church to speak into your life. And if you choose to remain vulnerable in this church, allow us to speak into your life. Allow us to cover you because God reconnects the vulnerable to the church to protect them, you know, to, to give them access where they have no access, to give them a hope that they really need. 
And so when we're in this place, I don't want, I don't want to hear like, ah, this Andrea can't talk to me. Who is he? Who do you think he is? We are a family. And he is free to speak into my life. If he feels that I'm doing something wrong, or said something wrong, maybe after this service, you hey, join in. <laughs> but you know what? There must be trust, and there must be vulnerability, and that teachability to, for us to speak into your life. Otherwise, really, this is just a service you attend. And that's not what we want. And finally, on the cross, Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. What you do not have access to, he gave us access. And he wants the church to represent him to be that kinsman redeemer. How are we allowing the vulnerable to come? Can we judge? I like what Sean Boat says. We do not have authority over what we don't know. We, we judge people even before we get to know them. We have no authority over their lives. We need to love and let the people have access to the, to the Father. He's a good Father. He wants to give us access from what we don't have. No, you, may, you may feel like you're so afar off, you don't deserve it. But you know what? He is our faithful and loyal kinsman redeemer. And whatever we lack, he can provide. Whatever we don't have, he will supply. Whatever skill, you know, I used to say, God, I'm so dumb, you know, I want to be clever. And somebody said, if you pray in tongues, you can become cleverer. And research say, and I believe that I pray in tongues. I said, God, I want to be smart. And I one day, somebody was praying over another church member and said, you, God have give you laser sharp brains, laser sharp. I said, wow, I'm jealous. Can I also have that prayer? I want to be laser sharp. <laughs> Whatever I'm lacking, you know what? God can make up for it. And finally, when God reconnects, the vulnerable to the church. And when he becomes our kingsman redeemer, we can, as a church, we can no longer stay indifferent. We can't see the vulnerable, the poor, and just like, don't do nothing. Don't wash our hands. I'm innocent. We have to do something because God has placed that responsibility on us, the church, that great responsibility. And it really pains my heart. Can I just be honest, right? I just want to be honest. It just pains me when we have the vulnerable, the, the old people, the hockey lung, you know, they are, they are at level five having service. And it pains my heart to hear that they say, Pastor John, nobody say hi to me. Everybody like, walk past. Are we really a family? Or is this just a church that you attend? Can we just walk past these old people who is longing for some connection? And we are here. And we can't even say hello to them. We need to connect. It is our responsibility. We can like, oh, go and give oranges to the poor. But these people are just right in our house. Do something. Even if you cannot speak their language, just... Hi, hi is universal. Hi, <laughs> universal language. Say hi, connect. We cannot stay silent. I like this quote. Silence in the face of evil is evil in itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. 
and not to act is to act. Victor Hugo, if I speak, I'm condemned. But if I stay silent, I am damned. Like, you know. Let's share with you this incident. Um, I, just before I left uh, for a trip, we had this stressful week. Uh, my daughter fell down, baluku, like the fish ball coming out of my head. And then the car started to break down. There's so many things happening. And then my daughter came back. And she said, Mommy, I'm so angry. I spoke up for my friend and my teacher scolded me. Da, 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 and uh, asked me to write reflection. I said, huh? What reflection? She said, yeah, she said, I was rude. I shouldn't uh, say things. And, and so she was. So I said, and she said, when I write the reflection, Daddy and you must sign on the reflection. I said, huh? What is this thing? So anyway, I say, why don't you write the reflection and I'll sign it. And it's very interesting when I read the reflection. It's how young people write verbatim. Dear so-and-so, you said this during the class, and I said this, and my friend said this, and then you said this, and I said this. <laughs> and then you say, I must write reflection. So I write this reflection. <laughs> as though she's telling me the story. She's like, you say this, I say this. So I said, so I said to her, dear, when you write a reflection, right, to defend yourself, you cannot write it this way and peppered with a, a grammatical error and spelling error. I, like, mm. I learned this when I was in my poly days. When you write complaint letter, you make sure no grammatical error, use bombastic word, like flabbergasted, I'm a poor. No, that's shock, right? Bum, 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 bum. So I look at her letter, I'm like, I know. The thing is, I'm not sure how true is the backstory. Like, maybe she was like, <laughs> see, I never name her and she talks. So I, okay, I said, and I was really tired. I was lying down with a blanket over, like, oh, it's time to go to La La Land already. She said, Mom, Mom, come. Then after I read her letter, there's no way I can sleep, like. <laughs> so I told Mary, come, Mommy, teach you how to write, okay? So I wrote for her. <laughs> <laughs> so the key is, you make your stand, right? Okay, I'll tell you some tricks, ah. Huh? Is... The teacher is angry with her for standing up. Okay, maybe it's the way she said, I don't know, because I wasn't there. But the gist is she wanted to speak up. She said, you always tell me to speak up for my friend. And this guy, Supoteng, you know, uh, he was trying to, he can't do his homework because he has no internet at home. So this homework requires internet access and computer. And this boy has, his family has challenges, and so he can't. And so I said, okay, let me do. So what I did is, I wrote, and I say, so the key when you want to, Prove your point, right? And not offend the other person. Stand with that person first. Sayang. Yes, I understand that, you know, it is wrong not to do homework. Then you, ah, but, this is what happened. But still, you know that I am, da, da, da. And then you, you said this. And, oh, I am sorry that I appear rude. But, but I am not sorry for standing up for my friend. 
Thank you. And so now, right. So. so that's the key, right? And then she read it. Oh, mommy, very good, very good. Okay. okay. And sign. So interested, ma. So what happened? Uh? What did your teacher say? She said, wow, she read. Uh, at first she was okay. Then suddenly, I never say this. This boy has a voice. What do you mean by he has no voice? I said, well... He has a voice, but he really didn't have a voice because he couldn't speak up for himself. So I'm very proud of my daughter that she spoke up. And there's, mm, there's never a better way when we see the vulnerables who cannot speak for themselves. You know, and it's a protocol in, in Singapore. I just, I hate that system. I'm to challenge it. Just keep quiet. You know, teacher is right. Do you know sometimes those in authority, just like Pontus Pilate, Wash his hand can be the abuser, and we need our children to stand up and speak. And that's what I wanted my daughter to do. So I say, How? Any more reflection to write? <laughs> and then she came back, Mommy, you know, uh, all my friends, only one parent sign. I have two signatures, eh? Two signatures. <laughs> Your parents are behind you. Go for it. And so when I. First, you know, we, I started fostering and, and it was, um, it came to a place where I couldn't have more children in our home. And I said, God, what can I do? You know, I really, really want to help children who have no home, who are vulnerable. And I ran out of space at home. And it just seems like, I just say in my thoughts, like, I want to do something. What can I do? What can I do? And it just seems like God has been like thinking and hearing and says, ah, you say you want to do something? I opened the door. And so we started getting invitation to go on radio, the newspaper print, and we went on TV. And it's like God said, I hear, I hear you even in your thinking about it that you want to speak up for the vulnerable. And he says, I am going to activate that. And then we started to, to just, I was afraid. I was like, oh God, I never faced media before. I don't know what to do. And, but yet, God says, you don't have to be trained, professional. You just need to have a heart willing to respond. I say, I say God, yes. And I started to speak up for all these vulnerable children. And, and I just enjoyed the journey. Are we speaking up for the vulnerables in our, in, our, in our fears of influence? Sometimes we just cannot stay silent. And that's why when you share with your friends or leaders or members of the church and you say to your leader, say, cannot tell Pastor Daniel and Pastor Joya. Your leaders, if it's a serious problem, they will have to speak up for you because we have the responsibility to protect you. And like I say, let's stay vulnerable. If you share it with your leaders and your leaders share it with us, your pastors, you must trust your leaders that he is doing it for your own good, for your own protection. And we love you so much. And the last thing I want to know is you have a problem and you... Went somewhere where you can stay vulnerable. 
And before I end, I want to invite our pastors from Iloilo. And I want them to share how they are being a voice for the vulnerable. And it's amazing. They are fostering children and they are adopting children. And God is slowly opening them to go to appear on media. Woo! Let the anointing flow. We are not just impacting Singapore. We are impacting the nations. And so, let's put our hands together and welcome. Makinyen. Hi guys. <clears throat> I'm nervous. Okay, um, my name is Mark. I, we are uh, pastor, pastoring one of the islands in the Philippines named Iloilo. So we have uh, currently three sons, one biological, one being adopted, and one foster son. Wow. Yeah, so oh, we have a script to stay within the limit. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we started our journey when our son JD was about maybe two years old, and we wanted to have a second child. Um, but somehow it just didn't happen. Like over after one year of not getting pregnant, I ended up going on the internet and looking through some blogs about adoption and fostering. And I was so amazed to find all these Christians who were just adopting kids, several kids actually. And what really spoke to, to my heart uh, was that they were adopting kids because the Lord himself actually adopted us. And it's just an expression of his heart to adopt these children who have no home to call their own. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the funny thing was um, I told Mark about it and I was like pushing him, okay, why don't we try to adopt? And he just brushed it off. <laughs> but, but God in his uh, mercy and grace. <laughs> <laughs> in the midst of my passivity and foolishness, uh, God... God <laughs> No wonder God will turn the hearts of the fathers. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. God gave me a dream about a baby drifting in the river, and I pick him up. Because of the dream, we decided to visit a local orphanage where we planned to have our church Christmas party. And to my surprise, one of the babies there was named Moses. Mm. Uh, that triggered us to apply right away. <laughs> I can't imagine God in the balcony of heaven. You're not listening, boy. <laughs> so that triggered us to ap apply right away to become licensed uh, foster parents. Six months later, they gave us two-month-old baby boy, uh, our second son, Samuel, whom we are now processing to adopt legally. So we got him. He was very tiny, underfed, and given up for adoption because of extreme poverty but we saw him slowly being transformed into a very happy, confident, <laughs> vibrant boy. Truly, truly a son in the house. Yeah, so that was the first uh, experience with adoption. And as soon as we were told that he was available for adoption, when he was about three years old, we got him two months. So mm. at three, he finally became available to be adopted. We told our social worker that we were ready to foster another one. A few months later, they had a baby boy who was found on the street among some garbage. The story was that somebody passed by and heard a baby crying. Like I think cat. it was morning time and they thought it was a cat. So nobody went to see what, what, what it was until nighttime. The same lady passed by and she still heard the sound. That's when they went to check it and there was a baby 
um, among the garbage and he had ants all over his body. So yeah, they took him to the hospital and two weeks afterwards, they contacted us um, to take on the baby since we were licensed again. When we got him, he was even smaller than Sammy. Mm. And our doctor actually warned us that a baby that small could very easily just die on you. Yeah, so we prayed for him every day, fighting for his life and his destiny. And now he's a very healthy, very bubbly one-year-old boy. <laughs> so, so even though we started our fostering journey only out of wanting to grow our family, we began to understand that this is spiritual battle. And it is the heart of the Father to set the lonely in families. Amen. So we want to declare that children are blessing from the Lord. And that's why we are now encouraging the church, especially our leaders, <laughs> to rise up to take in the children. And what the world calls garbage, God calls the prize. Yeah. <laughs> and this is especially true, not just for babies who are abandoned, but even for older children who grow up in orphanages. A lot of them in our country actually age out without being adopted. So we believe that the Lord desires for these children to be placed in loving homes, not just wealthy homes who can give them the things that they need, but actually in godly homes who can really raise them up in the destiny that the Lord desires for them. So this is why we are currently working out with our government agency. Somehow we've yes. gotten their favor. They're starting to trust us more. So we're working with them about fostering older children. So do pray with us that the Lord will really turn the hearts of the fathers, especially in our nation and even here in Singapore, to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. So lastly, it's been a life-changing uh, journey for us. Uh, some people say that Sammy and Ben is so blessed to be in our family when the truth is we were the ones that the Lord encountered more with his heart even, even, even since we got him. So we would not be where we are now if God had not invited us to be part of this uh, fostering and ad adoption movement. To tell you frankly, it's not easy. It's messy. It's <laughs> costly, but definitely worth it. And it's amazing privilege to partner with the Lord in expressing his heart and of redemption for the least of these, the vulnerable children in our city and our nation. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, give them a hand, please. Give them a hand. Wow. Can I also say that when before they wanted to foster the two um, siblings, the social worker said to them, you need to have a bigger house. And they took the step of faith to look for a bigger house and started to look, save the money to purchase and God just heard their prayer and they happened to meet this old church member who is building a big house and said to them, you know what, take over my house. I'll sell it to you at cost. And I say, wow. pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to buy at cost, I want free. <laughs> Amen. 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 Well, let's all stand.